On average, it takes 9 to 15 years of untreated illness to be diagnosed with and treated for a primary immunodeficiency. Recent studies estimate that 70 to 90% of those with PI do not yet have a diagnosis. You're listening to Undiagnosed, an Immune Deficiency Foundation podcast. These are the true stories of the harrowing journey to diagnosis. One of the most universal issues those with primary immunodeficiency face in the U.S. is simply navigating a complicated medical system. Getting a referral to an immunologist can feel absolutely insurmountable, even before the inevitable struggles with prior authorizations and annual reviews from insurance companies for life-changing or life-saving medication. If you or someone you love has struggled due to their PI diagnosis, you may have wondered, what would this be like? for someone who works and was trained within the medical system. Surely it must be easier. Surely they learn about it in medical school. In medical school, I would say that there was a minimal focus. If I had even an hour lecture on um, primary immunodeficiencies, I would be surprised. I mean, it was something that we studied because it's a popular exam question as one of the more difficult exam questions, but kind of, you know, learn it and, and forget it. Um, I, you know, after four years of medical school and three years of an internal medicine residency, at that point, I had seen one patient with CVID um, during my residency in Pittsburgh. And he was, you know, really unfortunate in his 20s, had had it since childhood and was really struggling. Dr. Kelly Hagerick frequently, and sometimes with dry humor, uses the words luck and irony when describing her journey with primary immunodeficiency. She grew up in a declining Pennsylvania steel town and recalls having frequent, if not necessarily severe, sinus infections as a child. I was a pretty quiet child, studious, read quite a lot. Um, I did enjoy some sports. I did gymnastics and then did cheerleading, played soccer, did swimming. But in thinking about it, I kind of curtailed myself in some of these activities almost without realizing it because of illness. You know, I would have pneumonia for and be out of gymnastics for a month and then get behind like my peers. And um, I really did enjoy swimming, but every time I would go swimming and meets and I would get an ear infection or a sinus infection or some sort of infection. So I, I tended to get away from these sports that I had really enjoyed. It wasn't until her 20s and the rigors of med school and residencies that she began to suspect something more severe. I would say that I had infections somewhat frequently as a child, but I was not hospitalized all that frequently. Um, it was really in my 20s that I started getting more illnesses and infections. And during my late 20s, well, during my internal medicine residency, I was um, 
infected with and hospitalized with the H1N1 swine flu influenza and was really pretty sick with that. Um, I was able to finish out my residency. I was in my last year at that time, but after that, I just really progressed and had infection after infection. So I just joke every itis that I could imagine. Um, so I moved out to San Diego at that time to enter a second residency program in preventive medicine at the University of California at San Diego. And they had a requirement at that time to do um, blood work testing to test that um, we all had immunity to various um, illnesses that we should have been vaccinated against. And at that time, most of my um, antibodies came up negative, which I found odd, um, but I just went through the revaccination process for hepatitis B and for varicella. And, you know, as that year progressed and I was hospitalized with a gastroenteritis and had conjunctivitis, um, I ultimately referred myself to an immunologist because I was concerned myself about a primary immune deficiency. So um, I would say I was diagnosed within probably about two to three years of really starting to get sick. And so I think I'm, I was lucky in that I had an easier time getting the diagnosis, I think in part because of my medical background and that I had recognized that there was something seemingly odd going on. While three years is substantially lower than the estimated average time to diagnosis, it was, for Dr. Hagerick, still years of balancing constant illness and exhaustion with the demands of medical training. When she was finally diagnosed, rather than experiencing relief, she describes feeling shame and doubt, fear that she wouldn't be able to put her hard work and sacrifice to use. Well, I went through two immunologists. The, the first immunologist that I went to did make the diagnosis, but he was pretty discouraging to me, um, continuing to pursue my career as a physician. He told me like, you're gonna be on IVIG for the rest of your life and you need to find a desk job. And I was coming to terms with the fact that I would need to be on immunoglobulin, but I'm like, do I really need to be on IVIG? So I sought a second opinion from a younger female immunologist who I'm still with today and has been very supportive and is just, you know, honest with me and realistic. So she felt like, you know, with some modifications that I could continue my career as a physician, which was important to me because I just finished, you know, nearly a lifetime of training and wanted to see what I could do. The diagnosis was emotional for a variety of reasons, not the least of which being the bleak outlook medical literature of the time reflected for those with CVID and other PIs. Um, I mean, it has been an emotional diagnosis for me, and I think it has taken me years and years to come to terms with it. Um, it was mixed emotions. I mean, part of me did feel relief at actually having a diagnosis, um, you know, early on. 
but it also, I just, I struggled. I felt like it was really unfair to be diagnosed in kind of the peak of my adulthood with this condition that was going to affect me for the rest of my life. And I feel like the like literature and research on it, even 10 years ago was not as, as positive. You know, you look Google, like what's the life expectancy of someone with uh, primary immunodeficiency and it's like mid forties, um, which isn't necessarily the case anymore, but that was all that was, you know, published at that time. So I really struggled with it and I didn't know anyone else that had this. And I certainly did not know anyone else in a medical career that had this. And I, I did feel a sense of shame and really like not wanting to tell my friends or peers about it. So I, you know, started on immunoglobulin therapy um, about two months before I started my first adult job. So that was, everything just kind of happened all at once. Throughout all of this, Dr. Hagerich's sights were set on developing a specialty in infectious diseases with the goal of working for the CDC, even earning a Master's of Public Health in Epidemiology. However, after a nasty bout with H1N1, Dr. Hagerich found herself with doubts. I had done two residencies. So my first residency was in internal medicine. I completed that in Pittsburgh. Um, that was the one where I had gotten so ill in my last year. And I found that I was really struggling with hospital work. And um, kind of ironically, I had always wanted to go into infectious disease as my specialty. Um, and had planned for that. And I wanted to work for the CDC and do um, outbreak investigations. So I was actually interviewing at the CDC in Atlanta for a position for after my internal medicine residency when I became ill with the H1N1 virus. I just, I, I took that as a sign, um, you know, and after I'd had this terrible illness that maybe infectious disease was not the path I was supposed to take in my life, but I'd just been diagnosed and started on immunoglobulin therapy, was not married, and I just realized I needed to have consistent health insurance. Like that was a really big priority to me. For me, I knew that I didn't think I could physically handle working in a hospital, seeing inpatients. So um, I ended up taking this primary care job, which I started, you know, right after I finished that second residency. Dr. Hagerich describes her struggle with the mental health aspect of chronic illness as a physician as ongoing. While the difficult decisions she's had to make as a result of her diagnosis are familiar to anyone with PI, those in her life have not always been as understanding. That said, She's found support and friendship in a few uniquely qualified individuals. The most difficult um, piece of my life to navigate. I always thought before my diagnosis that I would have children, um, but as that kind of didn't happen for me and I have concerns about what I pass this condition on to a child and what I be, how would I fare with my health with having this? Um, 
know, and then my nieces were born and they, I spend a lot of time with them. They're two and four now, but I see that they are sick quite frequently. And so are their parents, um, you know, my relatives. So I'm kind of at the point where I am, don't think that I'm going to have children. Um, I am, you know, pursuing a relationship and, and marriage if it works out for me. That has been difficult. I've never sure when to broach it with potential partners. Um, I was engaged to someone for a few years who was not particularly supportive of my condition. And he felt that um, since he'd not heard of it, and why would he, you know, he wasn't in medicine, but since he had not heard of it, that it was like a made up condition. So even though, you know, we lived together, I was doing my infusion weekly. Um, he was just, you know, not supportive of me doing that or the need to take break once in a while and just do self-care. And so I ultimately walked away from that relationship to support my, my own health through IVF. I've met several other um, physicians and nurses that have CBID and we're in we formed our a little WhatsApp group and we talk you know nearly daily or at least weekly like oh I'm just I'm feeling really down about my diagnosis today or I felt like my doctor didn't listen to me and so that has been really helpful to like navigate and deal with the emotional impact of this disease as you likely know already those with PI are bound together both in spirit by a common daily struggle, but also by the unique fears and complications they felt and endured during an event that reshaped the world overnight. Dr. Hagerick was working a stressful job as a clinician, seeing patients in early 2020 when the COVID pandemic began. While a career in a medical setting may have provided Dr. Hagerick with a bit more understanding than some other jobs, she still found that her employer's patients with her condition would eventually run out. You know, when it the pandemic hit in by mid-March, I was like, I am afraid to go back into the office. Um, I went home on a Friday and I just did not go back in the following Monday. And I actually never went back into my office again after that um, at that VA hospital. So I was able to make arrangements with my boss and leadership to do telemedicine for like that first year of the pandemic, you know, until vaccinations were out. Um, and also ironically, a week before I got my vaccine, I was out walking my dog and kind of jumped out of the way of a car speeding up the hill and broke my foot. Um, so I, you know, that was also just in, a difficult place to be in because I was scared to go to the hospital because I wasn't vaccinated. I didn't know what precautions were being taken. So my amazing primary care doctor arranged for an x-ray tech with a mobile x-ray machine to come to my house and do an x-ray of my foot. Um, it was normal, but in many, I'd say, 
with many PI patients, things just do not present normally. So I continued to have really bad pain in my foot for the next month. I couldn't really bear weight on it and ultimately got an MRI done that did show a fracture. Um, so I saw an orthopedic surgeon several times was in a boot, was on a knee scooter and my foot would just not heal. So I, you know, I was able to get vaccinated. I was still staying home though, but my job was not really accepting of me having an immune deficiency to stay home because like, well, you got vaccinated, you know, they didn't really seem to understand that no one could tell me if the vaccine actually would work in patients with a primary immune deficiency. And I still felt quite high risk and just, you know, with the foot fracture, I didn't know how I was going to navigate even getting to the hospital, getting around, seeing patients on a knee scooter. So I was able to extend my um, agreement to do telemedicine and my foot took, it would not heal. I saw multiple podiatrists, orthopedic surgeons. I used a bone stimulator. I did everything in that I felt like we could do, you know, surgery was starting to be recommended for me. And I was just very reluctant to have surgery one during this time. And two, no one could guarantee me if it was going to be effective. Um, so that was a really hard, hard time for me that I think the pandemic was, I mean, it was hard for everyone, particularly difficult for patients with PI, but living alone, having a foot fracture. Um, you know, I didn't feel comfortable having many people come into my home to help me, but I could also like barely get around. Um, so it took, the end result is it took 15 months for my foot to finally heal. And it only healed um, after I made the decision to leave my job and leave a lot of that stress behind and focus on my health and getting healthier. I wanted to work on losing weight, eating healthy, sleeping. And there was nothing else that I did differently um, really at that time besides working on my own health. And I went in to see my orthopedic surgeon for like that follow-up at about 15 months. And we looked at the x-ray at that time and it was completely healed. Like you couldn't even see the fracture that had been there just a few months before. Now, Dr. Hagerick works fully remote as a weight management doctor for a veterans hospital. She speaks of how a healthier balance of work and life has allowed her to rekindle hobbies, such as writing. She has even recently contributed a chapter to a book called How Healers Heal. One of my colleagues who I'd never met uh, pitched this idea that we all write a chapter um, in a book about lifestyle medicine, either in our own lives or in our work with our patients. So it ended up being 33 female physicians from around the world, mostly in the US, but India, Europe, a few. Um, our leader, uh, Shilpi Pradhan, started her own publishing company and we published it, self-published it on Amazon and on Target, uh, Barnes and Noble, called How Healers Heal. 
So um, it came out just a few months ago. And like I said, we each wrote a chapter. You know, my chapter is about being diagnosed with CVID and, you know, spending those years in primary care, just thinking that I was kind of destined to never feel well and thinking that it was really like due to my CVID that I could never be a healthy, happy person in some ways. So using lifestyle medicine to kind of change my life. Through all her career changes and uncertainties, Dr. Hagerick has learned a thing or two about self-advocacy. She encourages her patients to take control of their own health and points to problems within the healthcare ecosystem that need to be addressed in order for people with or without PI to live healthier lives. I continue to this day have to fight my insurance for it because the prior off that they require every six months, um, you know, expires and then they'll like randomly deny it every few times that it's due. Um, I don't know if anyone human is actually reading it or if it's just going through their, their system, but I have been aggressive at times with getting what I need. I've going Twitter and tweeted at this insurance company. I've found leadership on LinkedIn and message them like probably, you know, not the typical route, but I feel like I need to do what I need to do to get the care that I know works for me. It's, it's so frustrating. And it's, I didn't realize that there was, would be an emotional component to it, but there is for me, I'm like, oh, am I not worthy of living a good life because I want to be on the medication that has helped me for five years. Like you just want me to go on a a cheaper medication, you know? So I will say that I think people in our community suffer from two different types of trauma. Um, One is the trauma of having a rare chronic illness. And two is the trauma of dealing with our healthcare system. And by that, you know, not just, um, doctors, but the rest of it, fighting with insurance, fighting with the PBMs, like, and it is, I find it so difficult. And I, this is what I do for a career. I, I really feel for people with this condition who, well, anyone with this condition, but I I don't know how people do it that don't have a medical background because you basically like need to to get one, like having this illness is a part-time job, full-time job some of the time. Healthcare is in a difficult place these days, just really understaffed and people, not just doctors, but nurses, you know, psychologists, physical therapists, occupational therapists are leaving because it's just not a supportive environment at times. So it, it is difficult to be a patient and get your needs taken care of when places are so understaffed. So, you know, I just want to emphasize to patients that as hard as it is, you might not be used to, you do need to be your own advocate and you need to be in, in charge of your own health as much as you can. 
Your support of the Immune Deficiency Foundation helps to ensure that people like Dr. Hakerig get the support and advocacy they deserve. To learn more, volunteer, or donate, visit primaryimmune.org.